Chapter 22 Nananaba and Hushkehilnaba, Prisoners at Fort Sumner Nananaba's eyes began to tear up, not only because she could not blink, but also because her mind could not comprehend what her eyes were seeing. What are we doing here? Hashkehilnapa heard his wife hoarsely whisper. Hashkehilnapa took hold of Nananabat's hand and led her past the haggard faces staring at them. His own people who followed him from Zilajin, Black Mesa, wore tattered articles of clothing, but they still had goat skins on their feet. His people still had articles of clothing they were wearing in spite of walking many, many, many footsteps to get here. These Nabeho people who were staring at them were worse off. Nenanabat's heart hurt for the people who stared back at them. Just at a glance, she noticed many of the people had no clothes to ward off the cold wind that blew from the north. They had no moccasins, nothing to protect their feet from the cold ground. Some of the people had tied what looked like leaves around their feet to protect their feet from the cold. The eyes of the people who stared at them were sunken into their eye sockets. The people smiled faint, sad smiles that seemed to be frozen in place. A large group of destitute Nabeho people began to gather very quickly. The children stood with their arms folded in hopes of hiding the thin skin that covered their ribs. Mothers were holding their babies while each baby nursed from a flattened breast that seemed to have run out of nutritious milk. The men stood against the wind to present themselves as a shield for their people. They, too, had very little covering to protect their bodies from the cold wind. Nananaba saw a pregnant woman standing with two very thin children. The woman's face was red from the cold. Her skin, which was stretched tightly over her extended belly, was red. The woman held a small piece of cloth over her belly as if to shelter her unborn child from the cold. The pregnant woman reached out to the newcomers with a thin hand that was bruised and bloody from lacerations. She wanted to shake their hands, but the soldiers pushed her back, awkwardly making her fall on top of her small, crying children. She lay there, helpless. Her people did not help her up. Instead, they just stared at Hashkehilnapa and his people and murmured sad greetings to them. Over and over, Nenanaba heard people say, From what area have you been forced to walk? Greetings. Nenanaba's mind was confused regarding the greeting the people were speaking to them as they passed by. The word Ya'at'eh meant, it is good. 
She looked around her and wondered in confusion how her people could greet them with the word Yat'e. Her heart hurt for her people. Ninanabat held Hashkehishnapa's hand tightly, and with the other hand she clutched at her heart because it hurt so badly. The soldiers herded the people aside using ropes with which they whipped at the air, making the air jump when the whip snapped loudly. Slowly, Hashkehishnapa and his people followed the wagons ahead of them toward the fort. On either side of Hashkehishnapa and his people, soldiers rode their horses to keep the filthy, dirty people away from the new arrivals. Hashkehishnapa's people gasped when they saw a soldier wildly whip at the Nabeho prisoners' faces to keep them from reaching out to the Nabeho people who had just arrived at Fort Sumner. Hashkehishnapa heard different members of his people begin to cry. He heard women crying as they held their children closely to them. His heart began to break when he heard his adopted children begin to cry. He held his beautiful Ninanaba's hand very tight, and with the other hand he held her thin shoulders as if to shield her from the sad sight. Don't look at our people. Just walk beside me. They are such a pitiful sight. Don't look among our people, he said. Ninanaba suddenly jerked at her husband's hand. Don't say that to me, Ninanaba replied quietly but firmly. Her husband was worried that his wife would become overwhelmed with the sight before their eyes. He knew she was not strong. He pulled her hand closer to him and said, I said that because I am trying to protect you in your frail state. You have endured extreme suffering. Once again, Ninanaba jerked at her husband's hand to get his attention. I am looking for my children. They possibly could have been herded to this place. I will look among our people all I want. No one had spoken to Hashkeh Yishnapa in that manner since he became a leader. He had never even heard his beautiful Nananaba speak to him in that tone before. He looked at her, then began thinking about what she said. He felt as if someone had hit him in his chest. He was only thinking of Ninanaba when he saw all the faces of the Nabeho who came to greet them. The thought of his children had not even crossed his mind just yet. 
He was ashamed he had not thought of his beautiful daughters and his oldest son. He also raised his head and began looking into the hopeful faces of the Nabeho people who stared at them. Hashkehishnapa searched the faces of the young women and the young men, wondering if his children were held here. His mind could not grasp the reason or reasons his people were being held here by the whip and guns of the soldiers. What had his people done to deserve this? After walking the entire day through the crowds of Nabeho people, Hashkehishnapa and his people finally reached the fort where many long buildings stood erect. This is not right. It is not fair. These soldiers have clothes, but my people do not have any clothes, said Hashkehishnapa with an extremely heavy heart. His mind could not fathom how people could treat another group of people like this. What had his people done to deserve this? What had the little children done to deserve this? What had the young women done to deserve this? Ninanaba stood weakly beside him with tears freely flowing down her face. Hashkehishnapa put his arm around her and led her to their children just before he was jerked away by two of the soldiers. With great fear in her heart, Ninanaba watched as her husband was being shoved toward a long building made of stones. Fear gripped her heart when her thoughts stumbled on the thought of the homes of the enemies they had passed while being forced to walk to this place. The enemies' homes had been made with rocks that were piled on top of one another to make the walls of the home. Their homes were square, just like the one her husband was pushed into. They are shoving your father in there, and they don't even know how kind your father is, Ninanabat said as she pulled the rug blankets tighter around her. Her son replied by saying, They will find out how kind my father is, my mother. The sun began to set on the western horizon, declaring that it was evening, and Hashkehishnapa had not come back out of the home of the enemy. Ninanabat's impatient and troubled eyes were glued to the door her husband had been rushed through. She had not seen her husband exit the building he was rushed into. She began to give in to her fears that he was killed. How could she live without her Hashkehishnapa? Ninanaba felt faint. She wished she had not spoken so harshly to him earlier when he was only thinking of her well-being. 
She clung to her son's arm for support. Ninanabat looked down toward the ground to look for a place to sit down. She could not believe what she was seeing. They were standing in what looked like mud and feces. She then noticed the air was filled with the smell of urine and feces. She glanced around and saw more of her Nabeho people who had no clothes. Some were suffering from diarrhea and it was running down their legs. Some people even showed evidence they had bloody stools. She felt faint and sick. She looked down at her muddy moccasins. There was no place for her to step where the ground was only covered with dirt. Even the soldiers walked in the mud, feces, and urine, and did not seem to mind. Nananabat clung to her youngest son and her adopted children for warmth and support. Her son told his adopted siblings not to allow the soldiers to see the weak state of their mother if she fell unconscious. Stand in front of our mother. If they see our mother fall down, they may kill her, he said. His young adopted siblings gasped and began crying. They surrounded Ninanaba and wrapped her in warm rug blankets and pressed against her with their warm bodies. Sekiznazba held the rug blankets up so they would not touch the dirty ground. The children's eyes also remained glued to the entrance of the long building Hashkehyilnapa had been pushed into. As the sun completely surrendered to the western horizon, the children saw Hashkehyilnapa exit the building, escorted by soldiers. He was frantically looking for Ninanaba. He did not recognize her because she was wrapped tightly in the rug blankets. Their adopted children just stood there in silent fear. Hashkeh Yilnapa saw his son and ran forward toward the little group huddled in one place. Finally, Ninanaba felt her husband by her side and she collapsed in his arms. Fear gripped her children and her husband. They did not want her to slip back into the unconscious state she had fallen into when they were being forced to walk to Fort Sumner. In the pale evening light, Hashkehilnapa and his people were led farther east past a multitude of sadder people. They passed several little square houses, much like the ones their enemies lived in, that they had seen when they were being forced to walk quickly so as not to disturb the enemies and their families. Another row of little square homes, and another, and another, and still another. There were twelve long rows of little houses. Could that mean there were twelve different enemies of the Nabeho who lived here too? Ninanabat wondered. Ninanabat could only imagine what member of their enemies 
would come walking out of the little houses. The soldiers let them past many camps where Nabehua people were sitting in groups. Some were crying, some were singing, some were cooking food that smelled awful, and still others lay on tattered pieces of material that had many holes in it. The Nabehua people who tried to get up to greet Hashkehyelnaba and his group of people were pushed back by the soldiers who carried rifles, whips, and long dark sticks. Some Nabehua people were sitting inside little holes dug in the ground which were covered by branches, pieces of cloth, and bits of animal hides. As Nananabat lifted her eyes to look past the people in her immediate line of sight, she saw many little dwellings that were dug deep into the ground. In the dim evening light, it looked as if various colored leaves were fluttering on a tree heavy laden with leaves. She could not imagine how her people could be living in little holes in the ground. What was to keep the rain, wind, sun, cold, and later the snow off of their bodies? Nananaba covered her eyes. The sight was just too painful for her to continue to look at. She was deeply worried that her children were living in one of the little holes in the ground. Her heart began to hurt again. She looked down to concentrate on where she placed her feet. The ground was very dirty. How could the soldiers allow her people to live in conditions such as this, she wondered. Nananaba was not ashamed for looking into the faces of the people they were walking past. She wondered if her daughters would look like these people who were thrust into desperate living conditions. An older woman pushed toward Hashkehyelnaba, but was whipped several times on the shoulder by the soldier who yelled, Get back, you whore! The woman tried shielding her face, but kept yelling, Did you come with my younger sister and her children? Where is my younger sister? Many women began crying. The woji beat toward Dan Kujit and hit the Nel card. The yet the dosa hot beige got hit the wheatney. A doyer dinner yard the she at that. Ye got hit than he yothney. We were forced to walk here from Greasewood Springs. We are suffering severe mistreatment. Those things we cannot stand are something that cannot be described referring to the soldiers. They are really torturing us, the woman said. A soldier ran up to the woman and began beating her with a long, dark stick. I said, get back, you whore, he yelled as the woman fell to the ground. The Nabehua people did not move to help the woman. They seemed to act as if the despicable act of violence never took place. An older Nabehu woman softly said, Stop it. Don't talk. 
When you go to sleep, they will do something to you. The older woman's soft voice seemed to help the younger woman to settle down. Tears ran down Nananabat's face. She looked toward the eastern horizon and silently asked the creator to spare her children of this type of inhumane treatment. Her heart hurt. With her free hand, she clutched at her heart and held on tight. Hashkeh Yilnapa held his Ninanabat close, not wanting any harm to come to her. They walked through the gathering darkness. The soldiers carried lanterns that lit a small area near their feet. Hashkeh Yilnapa and his group followed the lights from the soldiers' lanterns. The farther they walked eastward, the more stifling the darkness became. The people bravely followed their kind leader. Hashkeh Yilnapa looked up toward the sky. It seemed as if the stars were refusing to shine to let him know what direction they were walking. He kept looking for various constellations to give him and his people direction. He had to trust his footsteps to let him know the direction they were walking toward. Suddenly the soldiers stopped. Using the dim light from their lanterns, they looked around. As they held their lanterns up to one another, the Nabehua people could see the soldier in charge had red hair. The soldiers were walking in different directions, counting their footsteps. The soldier with red hair hammered a tall, thin stick into the ground. The stick had a maroon piece of material tied to the tip. Hashkeh Yilnapa was given a shorter stick with the same color of material tied to it. He was told by an interpreter that he had to carry the stick with him everywhere he went. The stick signified he was a leader, and the stick and the maroon-colored strip of material were to become his people's identification. Through the interpreter, Hashkeh Yilnapa's group was told the maroon color was their color. They were to respond whenever a colored stick with material that matched their color was raised. The people were told by the interpreter that when the color was raised by their leader or the soldiers, that they had to respond by gathering together to wait for word from the soldiers. Four more sticks were driven into the ground several feet apart. Hashkeh Yilnapa was told his people were to stay within the square area outlined by the five sticks. When the soldiers left, Hashkeh Yilnapa gathered his people around him. He prayed for his people. During his prayer, the women and children began to cry. Soon, a soft wailing sound could be heard. Silent tears ran down their brave leader's face as he listened to his people softly crying. He told his people to listen carefully at all times. 
اساں پشتائے چکانی تب نیس خالقی شین بنات آنی تو خجو با خلیاں بنات آنی اتن نہلن کو نہز آں بنات آنی خلوں کو شین اتکی ہوتل ای کو حج آن خاتزی دونت این نیخی شتن اتنوشلنگی یہی کو اتا اتنوشلیاں یہی کو اتو اخا اتنوشلیاں خیتا اتکی بتل ای کو بچ انہوی ناگو تعدد او تنوشل این اسانی نیخی ناس اتکی بتل یائی گی تعدون دلسطا بکھائل ورطا نا بیخود نئے تاپ بیت نئے یو یا اتخلیان سے اید نئے تو تبین نسکی تو نا بیخود انلیتا نیخی انا ایتاز اتنلیگ کوئیتا بیت اتخان تازو اشتو بستاکی چکانی بندہوش چیہن تو اتخلیان دا خیدا یک ایتو جاہی گیت ایکا دچن دنلن یی یا دو بلا اشتلائی دن لیدا یادشی دن لیگو نیتغا نسلین The woman who was hit with a stick by the soldiers possibly does not have a leader that takes good care of her. It looks like they, the people, have no leadership. If they had a leader, he would have spoken up on her behalf. You who are my people, take good care of yourselves. Take care of one another as well. When someone is hurting because they have been mistreated, don't just look at them. No one helped the women who were being tortured in our presence. The Navajo people are supposed to take care of their own people. The people who just watched the torture are not Navajos. They may be our enemies who are being held here. Also, do not make the soldiers mad. They are crazy. They only look for someone to fight with. They are scary. They are not humans. It is uncertain what they are. They have come among us like an epidemic. Hashkeh Yishnapa continued by saying, Tado eats a negon dat noshkago nohje. Amata no sinigi, nakata alchen, bakata inosne, tadot otat shai, biga hayik et anne, nihike ikhai, tado bebik etahot aheta. Those of you who are mothers have hope for your children. Do not just let them cry. They have been through a lot as they followed us here. They cannot be blamed for anything. Hashkeh Yishnapa and his people began to settle down for the night. The people could feel that the ground was flat. Only dirt and an occasional plant could be felt in the darkness. The poor Nabeho people who were camped around them kept asking them questions, questions of where they had come from, the route they had taken, the people left behind in Nabeho country, and many more. Hashkeh Yishnapa and his people learned that many of the Nabeho people had been forced to walk to this devastating area more than one year ago. 
The cries and questions of other Nabejo finally quieted down when the pale light of dawn began to lighten the eastern sky. In the near quiet dawn, Hashkehyishnapa and Ninanaba could hear water running, possibly a river. Fear gripped their hearts again. Ninanaba thought, no, not another river to further separate us from our home. Not wanting to, Ninanaba asked her husband, that Toshna leads Sensing her fear, Hashkehyishnapa wrapped his arms around his beautiful wife and said in her ear, Yes, water is running. It sounds beautiful. As you were sleeping, I just lay here listening to you breathing and listened to the water running. Nananaba appreciated her husband's efforts at raising her spirit, but the devastation surrounding her made her extremely sick and homesick. Nananaba begged her husband to rest, but he was up greeting the dawn after only a short time of rest. I rested when you slept here beside me, Hashkehyishnapa said as he gave his wife a gentle hug. She lay shivering in their makeshift bed. She was glad her bedding did not get dirty while they were walking to their camping area. The area they had been assigned to was flat, and the ground was rocky and hard. The dirt that covered the ground was of a reddish-brown color. Many footprints lay undisturbed, some had been hardened because the footprints were made in mud. The footprints led toward the sound of the water that ran nearby. Nenanabat looked for the footprints that led back toward the people's dwellings. None seemed to be coming back toward her. She shivered. Her mouth felt like it was full of fur. She could not feel her mouth with her tongue. She shook her head and decided to concentrate on the landscape. Ninanabat looked around her and saw small bushes that grew in neat mounds. She was beside herself when she saw a little piece of matted wool stuck to one of the bushes. Farther toward the eastern direction were tall trees with big wide trunks that rose far into the sky. The trees were similar to the ones that grew near the wide rivers they had crossed. Immediately, Ninanabat's heart began to fill with fear again. She looked at the stick the soldier had driven into the ground and felt some reassurance that they would be camping here instead of being forced to cross the river again. Ninanabat looked down at the bushes that grew nearby. They waved gently in the breeze. For an instant, she wanted to be a weed that did not have feelings of hurt, hunger, disappointment, loneliness, 
and despair. What are we doing here? she asked rhetorically. The plants waved back at her. Looking closer, she noticed ants marching by. Red ants, hundreds of red ants. Quickly, Ninanabat jumped up, barked at her children to get up, letting them know red ants were in the neighborhood. There are many red ants running around here, she announced. Her adopted children began to jump up out of their bedding, knowing a red ant's bite can be painful. Ninanabat could not help but laugh at her children jumping up and down, each lifting a leg high in the air. The families began jumping out of their bedding once they also noticed the many red ants that occupied the area they were assigned to. Much commotion kept everyone busy. The people were kept busy as they shook out their bedding. Different ones could be seen slapping an ant off of themselves. As the early morning air became warmer, Ninanabat could hear people in the distance crying. Children could be heard, elders could be heard, and mothers could be heard trying in vain to calm and soothe their children's cries. Ninanabat thanked the Creator for giving her more babies, her adopted babies. She loved them and she knew they loved her. The Creator sent them their adopted babies. He knew they would help one another survive such destitute conditions. She, along with her husband, made a promise that they would take care of their daughter-in-law and their little adopted ones who came into their home. Nananaba was tired of standing. There was no place on the ground to sit. The entire area was covered with the red ants. She was relieved to see her husband walking back to their camping area. She noticed he had become very thin. Nananabat knew he had lost so much of his weight because he carried her much of the way when they were being forced to walk to this horrible place. Chago Shatansinya, where did you go? As soon as she asked, she knew the answer. He had gone to look for other Nabeho leaders. The leaders did not have any information about their two daughters and their son. The Nabeho Nadani leaders had given Hashkehilnaba some long sticks that had been dipped in pitch. These were to be used at night for light. The men suggested they also use the fire to burn the ants off of their camping area. On a flat rock, Hashkehilnaba carried live coals with which to build a fire. Hashkehilnaba asked his men to start a fire, which the men did by placing dry leaves on top of the live coals. Soon a little fire was burning, and the pitch ignited the fire even more. The men carried the pitch-covered sticks and began burning the ground to cause the ants to move their homes to another area. For the rest of the morning, 
the red ants kept the men busy. Hushkehilnapa and the men began digging holes in the ground to provide shelter from the weather. They used large flat rocks to remove the dirt. The men could not believe what they were seeing. Fat scorpions were coming to the surface after having been disturbed by the digging. The men were also finding long, furious centipedes that became angry when their homes were destroyed. Many of the Nabeho children had heard of Seiko, scorpions, but had never seen one. They gathered around the holes the men were digging to gawk at the many insects whose homes were being disturbed. Hashkehilnapa's heart sank. Not only would they have to worry about the red ants, they had to also watch out for the dangerous Seiko, the Jatlani, centipedes, and the many Nashjeitso, big spiders the men were finding. The men were heard to say, This land is not kind at all. Even the land hates us. The men gathered and began saying prayers for the insects they were disturbing. They announced to the insects that they needed to share their land with the Nabeho who meant them no harm. It seemed to the Nabeho people that everything about the land screamed punishment. The people could not sit or lie on the ground. Every night they used the sticks covered with pitch to burn off the insects before they settled down for the night. Hashkehilnapa lost several of his people, men, women, and children, when they were stung or bitten by the dangerous insects. Their only hope was the prayers they depended upon for their very survival. The conditions at the fort were so desperate, there was not one good thing about it. The Nabehua people became very discouraged. Hashkehilnapa felt so bad for his people. He spent time every day encouraging his people in order to lift their spirits. He promised them that they would one day return to their land between the four sacred mountains, but to do that, they had to remain strong. The food that was provided by the soldiers was the same as the food that was offered to the Nabeho when they were being forced to walk to the fort in the desert. Hashkehilnapa told his people not to eat the food. He promised his people that he and his men would set traps to catch small game. Many times the men would find two or three prairie dogs, squirrels, chipmunks, or beavers that were caught in their traps. These they cooked in the ground and shared with their families. Each person had to be satisfied with a little piece of meat, even if it meant only a taste of it on some occasions. Although Hashkehilnapa and his group of people were invited to stay in the little square homes near the fort, he politely refused 
the offer. He had learned from one of the leaders when they first arrived that the homes were built for the Nabeho people, but with so many of their people dying, each home was left vacant because a family member had died in the square homes. Besides, it was only their enemies that lived in square homes built by placing square rocks upon one another. Hashkehilnapa reminded the people they were Nabeho and they had to remain Nabeho. He instructed the men to work on the canals. The soldiers told the people they had to make in order to have cornfields. The men looked for branches that could be used for making planting sticks for their cornfield. Hashkehilnapa told his people to remain busy at all times. His people were not allowed to lie around during the day. He kept them busy. The women made small baskets using the weeds that grew nearby. Hashkeh Yilnapa told his people they were fortunate to be camping near a river because the river supplied driftwood which had to first be dried before it could be used for firewood. He asked his people to save what little firewood they had collected. He told them the nights would become much colder, so they had to make their firewood last. The only time the people made a fire was when they were going to cook meat. As the days became colder, Hashkeh Yilnapa asked his warriors to divide up the wood evenly between each family. He then instructed his men to build fires to create coals. When the fires burned out, the men would sparsely spread the coals over the place where the family would sleep. Once done, the men covered the live coals with clean sand they brought back from the bank of the river. The family would lie down and stay relatively warm throughout the night. This was the practice Hashkeh Yilnapa and his warriors would use to keep warm on long cold nights when they were away from home for hunting or warfare when they still lived at the base of Zithlachin, Black Mesa. Ninanabat did not want to add to the weight her husband was carrying. Every day she looked up and began searching the southern sky for the weeping clouds she had seen the day they arrived. As she expected, her eyes swept across the weeping clouds again. As on the previous days, the clouds appeared. It seemed as if smudges were left in the Creator's artwork. Daily, Ninanabot's tears rose to the surface and spilled over onto the memories of her three missing children. Her small, frail body shook Every time she cried, she knew that her body truly missed her babies. She rubbed her stomach. Whenever she thought of the pregnant woman they had seen the day they arrived, she would begin to wail. Daily she prayed for her little ones. Daily she rubbed her stomach. Daily Nananaba made a vow to herself that she would not breathe her last breath until she saw her first grandchild. 
Ninanabha knew she would see her children again.